0: Now, you follow as I read out of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read you the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Have you you found that yet? Okay, you follow as I read the first 10 verses of Ephesians 1. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus... And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it, um, it endures forever. Hey guys, so you know what these are? Um, I wanted to stack them all, in, but I'm, I'm about to make a mess here. You, you watch and see. I wanted to impress you with you now, don't fall. Do you know what those are? Those are commentaries. Commentaries on the book of Ephesians. By one author. Now he is my favorite author, Martin Lloyd Jones, but there are eight volumes here, eight volumes on six chapters of Scripture. So that's more than a volume per chapter. There are dozens of other authors that write on the book of Ephesians. This is just one guy. One man writing on the book of Ephesians. Now, guys, to preach through the book of Ephesians from the Sunday morning pulpit... um, in 35-minute in little bites is, is probably a bad idea for somebody for like me. Because my style is, um, is to um, kind of squeeze out of every verse, everything that's there, the, the Wednesday night crowd will attest. But I realize that that's not your style. So, for me to to do the same thing on Sunday morning that I'm doing on Sunday night with Romans would probably end up boring you. It will probably end up boring you anyway, but would probably end up boring you way before we ever got to chapter 3 or chapter 2. Um, so, I, I'm... Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the or have the same approach to this book as I have to the approach of the book of Romans on Wednesday night. The book of Ephesians was um, was John Calvin's favorite book. I, I think it was he who said that this is a letter of pure music. It is truth that sings. It is doctrine set to music. Beautiful. Um, so what I'm going to propose to do um, is I'm going to limit myself to two sermons per chapter. And it will require agony on my part. For me, for, probably not you, but agony on my part to do so. For example... I am not going to say a word about verses 1 and 2. I mean, guys, it pains me to not say something about the words grace and peace. Or even the word apostle. I am showing um, unbelievable restraint in bypassing a lot of the stuff, the rich stuff that's going to be found in this book. Now, I guess that's enough of the drama. Um, I, I'm simply saying to you guys, we're going to march through the book of, of Ephesians in broad strokes, um, hopefully, to the benefit uh, of God's people. Now, th- there are some who have likened the book of Ephesians um, or, or said that the book of Ephesians is somewhat of an abridged mini version of the Book of Romans, um, which, as you know, we have been studying uh, on Wednesday nights on and off for the last twelve years. But in 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 uh, although there are some similarities in the two books, one of the main things that, that that at least strikes me in terms of differences in the books is that the Book of Ephesians it, it catches you off guard. Because it plunges right in to some pretty heavy stuff. Unlike the book of Romans, where Paul takes eight chapters to, to just define the doctrine of justification by faith before he ever gets to the, to the really tough stuff. But he prepares you for it in the book of Romans. He, he, he takes eight chapters to kind of get you ready for this, the, the tough stuff that's uh, just around the corner. But not in the book of Ephesians. It's like, it's like Paul uh, said, uh, uh, dear friends, um, how's everybody back home? Boom. We're launched into predestination and election. In verse four, we get, we get one verse to prepare ourselves for boom. Now I can say it is quite a verse. That is it's a, quite a verse that prepares us. I, I'm alluding to verse 3. Let me read it to you. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Before he ever takes us to some pretty deep theological waters, he introduces it all by this, by this statement of Doxology. This statement of benediction, this statement of praise. You know, years ago, there, there used to be a couple that went to church here. They, uh, they moved to Texas, uh, Bruce and Kathleen Meyer. And uh, Bruce introduced me to a, a, a systematic theology work by Wayne Grudem. And very frankly, I, I think there are better works available to you. Uh, you know, if you're going to buy a systematic theology, buy Burkhoff or buy, uh, buy Hodge. But But one of the things that I did like about Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is that he concluded every chapter, I think it was every chapter, he concluded every chapter with a hymn. A a hymn from the hymnal. Because he was trying to make this point, ladies and gentlemen, he was trying to, to, to communicate that all theology must lead us to doxology you know what that means i mean you know what doxology is don't you i mean um, there's a there's a chorus that the christian church sings and we'll sing it a little bit later called the doxology you know that praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him but you, know, you remember that that's called the doxology Because it is a statement, uttered to God, a statement of praise. This burst of praise. And that's what you're looking at, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at verse 3. For Paul, when he is writing all of this very difficult theological stuff, he is not writing as a seminary professor. He's not writing to seminarians. He's not writing to students. He's not writing to a classroom. He's not not trying to offer up enough theological fodder so that we can get a good theological debate going on. His pen sings. It sings with all these rich biblical concepts. Concepts which describe how and why God saved us. You know, guys, in in, in these first 12 verses, from verse 3 to verse 14, that constitutes one very complex, difficult to translate Greek sentence. Only one sentence. Um, Paul's speech just pours out of his mouth in this continuous cascade as if he gets so carried away that he cannot pause long enough to catch his breath and to plant a period. All those periods in there, those were put in by the translators. Verses 3 through 14 is one sentence. William Hendrickson likened this section to a snowball that is rolling downhill and is picking up steam and picking up volume as it descends. Guys, here's the point. However it is that you want to understand these glorious truths of predestination and election, if it doesn't lead you to doxology, you missed it. If all you get is some kind of vague intellectual satisfaction... Then start over. Because you missed it. Guys, if you want to know what I think about those, those issues, then you can sign up for my systematics class, which we offer a couple times a year. But if you or I walk away with nothing more than academic conquest, then we have fallen short of Pauline theology. Because Paul starts and ends with doxology. And that's what you are looking at in that one verse of preparation, verse 3. He starts, before he ever gets to these things that are so controversial, at least in the 21st century church, before he ever gets to that, he starts by saying, blessed be God. That's what verse 3 is. And then we come to verse 4, which indeed is some rather, it's, it's theological heavy lifting, ladies and gentlemen. Um, can, I, can I just read you verse 4? You still got your text open? I hope. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, guys, the three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, contain enough material for 15 sermons. But there's no way that that I can plumb the depths of all that's stated in there in my little 35-minute chunk here on Sunday morning. And to try, I, I try to do a better job of that in an eight-hour session called my systematics class. Um, and I, I probably fail there too. But unpacking these verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, or at least trying to, would probably create more problems than I solve. But I do want to point out three things about them. And, and that's what we'll look at today and we'll move on next week. There's three things that I want you to see. Here's number one, whatever it is that Paul is teaching here, whatever it is, however you come to understand it, whatever it is that Paul is writing about here in this this verses 4 through 6, you must understand this first, that he considers it blessing number one. Remember, we looked at verse 3 and he says, Bless God for all these blessings that he's blessed us with. (laughs) number one, he comes to verse 4. Verse 4 is considered for the Apostle Paul, blessing numero uno. Let me read it to you. For he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the earth. The Apostle Paul considers that. Blessing number one. (laughs) Now, guys, when you're interpreting your Bibles, uh, one of the things that you have to do is that you have to figure out what the antecedents of the pronouns are. Antecedents of the pronouns? What are you talking about, Dr. Young? Oh, come on. Now, you remember the English language. We, We speak it. The English language has things called pronouns in it and pronouns refer back to nouns and those things that they refer back to are called the antecedents of the pronouns look at this he has chosen us in him there are three pronouns he chose us in him three pronouns now you've got to figure out who the antecedents of those pronouns for are all right who's the he well if you say god you're only half right Because the term God can refer to the whole trinity or it can refer to God the Father. But if you say God the Father, you got it right. He, God the Father, chose us. Who's the us? Well, that would be Ephesian Christians with a broader application to the rest of us. God the Father chose us in him. Now, who's the him? That would be God the Son here's the first thing that I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen. However you come to understand all these rich theological concepts, here's the first thing that you've got to understand. Whatever it is that God is up to, He's up to it in Him. In Christ Jesus. Guys, there are two Greek words that are translated in. There is the shorter one, epsilon nu or e in then there's another one epsilon iota sigma which is pronounced ice i think it also is translated in but when the new testament talks about believing in jesus the preposition that is normally used normally is the second one ice because ice signifies moving into. The other one, EN, signifies or connotes inside of. So here's the point, guys. You still with me? When you believe in Jesus Christ, you move into ice. But the result of moving into is that you are in, or inside of. <laughs> Guys, the word that's used in these, this paragraph 11 times, it's in verse 3, it's in verse 6, it's in verse 7, it's in verse 9, it's in verse 10, is in, that is inside of. However you understand these glorious truths, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand this. That the sphere of all of God's operation is us in, inside of Christ. You know, people just have the toughest time believing that they're really spiritually safe. That ultimately, when I die, is God going to own me? Ladies and gentlemen, the whole idea here is you are safe because you are in Epsilon New. The sphere of all that he's up to with us, his people, is that he is putting us in Christ. However you come to understand predestination, it must focus on Paul's primary object, and that's Christ. In Christ, for Christ, because of Christ, chosen in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. He's front and center in everything, ladies and gentlemen. That's the first thing I want you to see. Here's the second. The emphasis of this whole passage, this whole paragraph, is the work that God has done for you. To save you. At the very least... This text that we're examining is describing God as the initiator in this whole saving work. God the Father is the subject of almost every one of the major verbs in this this paragraph. It is, He has chosen us. He, God the Father, has chosen us. Your redemption is all God's. You did not, you did not make the first step. <laughs> now, you know, I said that back this summer when we were looking at Genesis 3. You remember that? It was, I think it was in the third of those four sermons. I said this. I said, um, when Adam and Eve sinned and ate that fruit from that forbidden tree... What did they then do after they, were, they realized they had blown it? What did they then do? Well, they ran to God and told him how sorry they were and asked for his forgiveness. They didn't do that. They ran to the bushes. Then they began to try to cover their shame and their guilt with sewing fig leaves together. And in that story, who sought whom? Hmm. That was God seeking the estranged sinner. And then I went on to ask this. I said to you, or I asked you, when did that change? It hasn't. It hasn't changed, ladies and gentlemen. And when did God seek you? The text tells you in verse 4, He sought you before the foundations of the earth. Now guys, You aren't asleep yet. If you can get just this much down, you will have made a huge stride spiritually. And here's what I mean by that. I I wonder if some of you are sitting out there saying, Well... (laughs) Dr. Young, that's all very interesting, you know, very, very, very heady of you. And 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 Dr. Young, I don't feel like we don't under, we don't appreciate this. We we really do. We, but you know what, Dr. Young, I I, I just really don't have much time for that because because Dr. Young, you know, I, I, my marriage is coming apart at the seams. Well, I got kids that are driving me crazy. But yeah, that's very interesting, Dr. Young, all that heady stuff that you're talking about. But you know what, Dr. Young, I can't even get along with my neighbors. Why, I got a job situation that's a big old mess. I need something practical. I need something that's relevant. All that heady stuff, that's, that's nice for you theologian types. But for me, I need, uh, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty. Now you listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. If you can wrap your mind around who God is and who you are, if you can get a mental picture of who's on first and who isn't on first, that would be us. If you can simply begin to get the notion Of who God is and who you are in relationship to him. Ladies and gentlemen, I have done you an eternal favor. Because it might just humble you. And the best thing for your marriage right this minute. Is that you be humbled. And the thing that will help you be a better parent is that you taste humility. And the thing that will equip you to get along with those very difficult neighbors of yours is a healthy dose of humility. And the thing that will help you survive in a concrete jungle with a whole lot of very difficult co-workers is a right view of yourself. And one of the things that will humble us and sweeten us, ladies and gentlemen, is simply knowing this, that God is the initiator in this great saving work. Third point, real quick. Why me? Why do I have this unspeakable privilege of being a child of God? Why, why was I given the opportunities I've had over and over again to hear the claims of Jesus Christ? It's a good question. Hey, have you ever been in a prison? You know, every time I'm in one of those things, I, I, I have this thought. Why aren't I in there? Well, because, I mean, you know, I... <laughs> Well, because one day um, uh, God was, uh, you know, examining his, uh, his universe and he, and he saw me and he says, now, he says, uh, now there's a guy with great potential. Uh, you know, he's, he's a righteous little guy, a little rough around the edges, of course. But, uh, you know, if I, if I just give him just a little bit of help while he'll be a credit to my kingdom uh, now and, and later. That's foolishness, ladies and gentlemen. Are any of you so benighted as to think that any of that is true? Why me? Why anybody? You see, guys, justice I understand. It's grace that puzzles me. You want an answer to the why me question? then I got one for you. But you're going to have to turn and look at it. It's in Matthew chapter 20. If you've still got your Bibles, this is a parable. It's a parable. Um, let me just give you the storyline, but you, you need to look at it yourself because and, and, there's a verse in that I want you to see. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's called The Laborers in the Vineyard. This is how the parable goes. The the the, um, the guy this land this vineyard owner uh, comes to harvest time and he needs some help harvesting his crop so he goes down to the place where he hires the day laborers and at six a.m. in the morning he hires a group of guys and say go work in my field in my vineyard and I'll give you a denarius uh, for the day. So then he realizes about 9 am he needs some more. So he goes back over there and he gets some more and he sends some over those guys over there. And then about noon he realized, oh, I'm still short. So he goes back and he gets some more and he sends those over there in the vineyard and then about 3 pm in the afternoon he realized, oh, oh, oh I still need some more help so he goes back and he gets some more. And he sends those guys over there. And then about 5 pm in the afternoon, he realizes, I'm still short. So he goes back over there and he gets some more at 5 pm and he sends them over there. End of the day comes. End of the day comes, and they all line up, and the guys that have been there since 6 a.m. are thinking, you know, we're going to get more than, you know, that denarius he promised, because he couldn't pay us all the same thing. I mean, sure enough. So they all line up, and to their utter amazement, they all get the same pay. And they don't like it. Ladies and gentlemen, that parable makes no economic sense. And that was Jesus' intent. Guys, Jesus is giving us a parable about grace, not about math. Grace is the new math. There is a scandalous mathematics associated with grace. I want to read you a couple of sentences from a guy. I don't even know who he is. His name is Robert Capon, but he says this. Listen, this is so rich. If the world could have been saved by good bookkeeping, it would have been saved by Moses, not Jesus. Grace cannot be reduced to generally accepted accounting principles. In the bottom line realm of ungrace, some workers deserve more than others. In the realm of grace, the word deserve doesn't even apply. Isn't that great? Oh, 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 back to that why me question. I haven't forgotten it. It's got an answer, and it's in this parable, it's in verse 15. Why me? By the way, the, the, the vineyard owner is a is a is a picture of God the Father. And the vineyard owner is speaking, and he's speaking as, as a representative or as the as the God figure. And God, the God figure in this parable in verse 15 asks this. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? <laughs> God asks, am I not allowed to do what I choose with that which belongs to me? Ladies and gentlemen, how would you like to answer that question? Would you like to look into the face of the Heavenly Father and say, nope, 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 nope. You can't do that. Nope, nope. You wouldn't dream of doing that, would you? Guys, grace baffles us because it goes against the grain of human intuition. The world runs on ungrace. Why me? Why did God save anybody like me? Well, the answer is in verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace. That's it. And by the way, on on, on what basis does he save me? That's in verse five. The, the last half of it. Um, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. On what basis did He save us? The good pleasure of His will. Justice, I understand. Grace. Me. And don't forget this. Paul starts this section that is so rich and full of theological concept. He starts it by saying, I bless you, God, for blessing us with all these blessings. Go read it. Verse 3. And so everything in there is just Paul listing blessings that God has showered on us. Now, what is the right response to that? doxology. Praise. A life of praise. Let me pray for us. Our Father, I I do pray that you will call us up short, that you'll stop us in our tracks, that you will that you will remind us that the extremes to which you have gone, to save people so undeserving as we, and and I pray that you'll send us out out of here with having been put in our place, having been cut down to size, having been reminded that you initiated this grand and glorious work of saving somebody as wicked as I am. And might that sense of who I am in Christ Jesus Humble me, sweeten me, make me a better husband, a better wife, a better daddy, a better employee, a better neighbor. As, I'm, as I remember that I'm not the hot shot that I thought I was. That I am a saved man or woman because of the riches of your glorious grace people who perhaps ought to be in prison, but people who have been saved by the riches of your glorious grace. Would you do that, Father? And for those that you brought here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that apart from your intervention, they will never see the beauties and the excellencies of Jesus Christ? But would you grant that Not because they deserved it, because we certainly never deserved anything. But because you are a gloriously gracious God. Let me ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.